When we started, when we came to this COP, we knew that trust into the multilateral system and trust among countries were at its lowest. And in order to renew trust and create, you know, the momentum and the springboard needed to course correct where we were because we were so far from meeting and fulfilling the Paris Agreement's promises. We knew that we needed some signals of solidarity and some, some progress on the fulfillment of existing commitments from developed countries. From the sidelines of COP28, Nation Reports speaks to Yamide Dagnet, Director, Climate Justice at Open Society Foundations. Our reporter, Helen Chikanda, started by exploring the question of what is climate justice. What climate justice is, um, is looking at efforts um, to, to tackle, you know, to really, let me see. What climate justice means is looking at the fight against climate change with the lens, with a, a people-centered approach. Um, it's, you know, about looking at it um, from the lens of equity, social justice, economic justice, and human rights. Which means that we acknowledge that those who have contributed the least to the problem that we face are also those who are say, you know, suffering the most of it. Uh, the impacts are disproportional you know, for marginalized communities, you know, BIPOC communities, um, and exacerbates all the in existing uh, problems that countries are facing. So if there's already inequality in a country, it's going to be exacerbated further by climate. You know, if there's a water crisis, water scarcity, that's going to be exacerbated further by climate leading to migration because there's no water. Um, you're going to have more intense hurricane, droughts, floods, which are going to have an impact on your infrastructure, on your crops, on your livelihood and on life. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of examples of climate impacts, including recently creating, you know, forced displacement, you know, having countries underwater, jeopardizing your cultural heritage. So it's, it looks at, you know, how we're going to make sure that temperature is kept in a relative, you know, is kept under the thresholds that recognize that, you know, beyond it, beyond it, we're going to be in a very dangerous path to ensure any justice and with irreversible changes that cannot be adapted to. And already, you know, that, that threshold is 1.5 and already, you know, we are, you know, we are, getting closer to it and we see what type of impact we're facing it's getting only worse mm -hmm. um so we need to make efforts to double down we need to double efforts to reduce emissions to keep 
fossil fuel on the ground because we know the role that fossil fuel plays. We need to hold accountable not just government but also international companies, private sector, um, including philanthropy. Um, and you know, we know that even if you know we manage to keep 1.5 degree alive, we're going to face enormous um, impacts. So we need to find ways to build and to support that resilience. Okay. And whatever pathway we do, it needs to be just. We need to look at, you know, in with a, a lens of humility, we need to make sure that there's no unintended adverse effect, effects of what we do. Mm-hmm. That in going to one direction, we are not reproducing the same mistake that we did, you know, in and the opposite directions. For example, yes, we want absolutely to triple in renewable energy. We know the costs have changed. We know the opportunities and the, the tremendous opportunity that it provides. But we need to make, to also acknowledge that these dash renewables, including to produce our electric vehicles, are going to require much more critical minerals than we want, much more land. Therefore, mm-hmm. that you know we have so far, and we need to make sure that in doing so, mm-hmm. we are not grabbing the lands of frontline communities. We are not grabbing the land of indigenous people. We are not deforesting more than we already have. That we, um, and and that the countries that are rich in in those minerals are not just kept as you know, from an extractivism point of view, just there to be extracted upon, but that this revolution provide them an opportunity to also move up the manufacturing ladder and to to actually profit, you know, from the economy that it entails more than just developed countries at the moment. Okay. You mentioned something about impacts that... Uh, cannot be adapted to or neither mitigated, which basically translates to loss and damage. Yes. So the last year's COP loss and damage was one of the biggest win, and this year we are hoping to get funding. Uh, some people have already said that they are putting some money into it. So how do we ensure accountability so that the people who really need this money get it? So we already at the, the this cop already made history by having on the first day an agreement secured you know to operationalize the loss and damage fund that was created at cop 27 as you said um and to capitalize this fund you know there's been um a bit more than 600 million mobilized so it's much more than what was mobilized when the GCF, when the Green Climate Fund was established. So there's momentum, but this is not the end of the world road. Um, I think so. I think while there's a lot of momentum again created, we know that the floor, meaning the minimum. Um, uh, fund necessary to support and to respond to some of those um, uh, losses and damages is about 100 billion. 100 billion. And how much has been pledged so far? 
So if it is 100 billion per yeah. year, what has been pledged so far is more than 650 million. Mm -hmm. So we're getting into the right direction there, but it needs to be connected to the other direction. So um, just maybe to follow up on the question on loss and damage, I had asked about accountability to ensure that it reaches the people that actually needs it. And I'm not sure if it's World Bank that will be in charge of the money. And if it's that, how easy will it be to access the money? Then I think developing countries agreed, you know, to, to have the bank, uh, they, they conceded to have the bank to hosts so that first we don't spend too much time in establishing something completely new and yeah so the speed you know of you know how you know how speedily we're going to be able to have a functioning fund was one the second was direct access and that Developing countries want the World Bank to manage um, and enhance its procedures so that there's more direct access to, to, to the funding instead of going through intermediaries. That And there's still a conversation about to which extent it's going to, to the, the money is going to get to where it is needed the most, the local communities, um, local, or, yeah. So, and, and, so the issue of direct access Access in particular is very important because that's really a bottleneck. There's a lot of a few funds that are very difficult that are dif very difficult for these developed countries, small islands, um, to to get access to. And I think you know they they are supposed to be a priority recipient also of this fund. Mm -hmm. As you explained, climate justice you also mentioned something about critical minerals and how the countries that have these minerals just act as extractives and they do not benefit directly. So moving forward, what do you think is the best thing that can be done to have an equitable share of the resources? I think the, the global stock take, you know, that accountability exercise that is being set up at this COP, that comes to its climax at this COP, um, and, you know, on where we are, where we need to be and how to get there provide the opportunity to give a signal as to, you know, yes, if we want, you know, to we take seriously the possibility to decarbonize our economy, to go fully into renewables, um, let's make sure that there's enough guardrails to make sure that the communities on the front line are protected. But also let's make sure that as we are phasing out uh, fossil fuel, um, that there's a benefit sharing and uh, especially a continent like you know Africa, you know that this transition is made in a shared benefit point of view, and that the value chain there's attention to the value chain and to um, to to the possibility for countries to to um, you know to move to the ladder, to the manufacturing ladder outside the extractivism. The COP will not give, you know, a, such a signal, but by acknowledging that these renewable energy goals, energy efficiency needs to be accompanied by consideration for a just transition 
on the use of critical minerals could be already a signal. It doesn't need to be as much, but a hook so that a lot of work are being done. And the continent is not starting from scratch because there's been a lot of discussion already um, and consideration of a vision framework on critical minerals. It will require a lot of reflection, but still, it's, it's a journey where you know, countries like um, uh, the, the, the Cong in, in the Congo Basin, Zambia, Zimbabwe, even South Africa look at, you know, how they can benefit regionally, you know, looking at how to leverage their strength, you know, which country can, you know, can still make the most of the extraction while others can manufacture the batteries, you know, while others can do all the things. So just leveraging some of the strength where not one country needs to be doing everything. So there could be regional cooperation, um, uh, but, you know, we've really the, 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 the the, the the need to do it in a better way, not to re, not by reproducing the abuse that we've seen in mining um, that infringe um, the right to land, the land rights of frontline communities, uh, labor rights, and so on. What what I wanted to get out of this cup was when we start when we came to this cup, we knew that trust into the multilateral system and trust among countries were at its lowest. And in order to renew trust and create you know, the momentum and the springboard needed to course correct where we were because we were so far from meeting and fulfilling the Paris Agreement's promises on mitigation, on adaptation, even loss and damage, on everything, on mobilization of finance. We knew that we needed some signals of solidarity and some, some progress on the fulfillment of existing commitments from developed countries. What we've seen so far is the encouraging um, signals on loss and damage um, on the first day, instead of leaving the negotiations um, generally it's nothing is agreed until everything is agreed and leaving the whole package is the end and there's been an orchestration under the leadership of the presidency to actually get the presidency the secretariat and many other actors including civil society to really create the pressure to create that signals front and i think this is that's very encouraging and we need to keep that momentum for the rest we also seen, you know, some signals with the replenishment of the Green Climate Fund uh, that was replenished at its highest. Instead of, you know, normally it needs to be a minimum of 10 billion, and it already reached uh, 12.7 billion, 2.4 billion more than the previous replenishment. Of course, you know, we we know that there's negotiations here about how to mobilize the trillions that we really need. But I think, again, making sure that we at least meet some of the commitments made are absolutely critical. Um, so, you know, the GCF, we, you know, is, you know, was helpful. The, but, but adaptation was problematic. There's been 
20 million of pledges so far on adaptation. This is this is disappointing. The the negotiations may be stalling a little bit, and I think it's very important adaptation being in the, at the middle of you know between all effort to reduce emission, allowing to adapt, and also minimize losses and damages. And you know you should not just go from one to the other without considering what is in the middle. And this is also why you know seeing how often it is you know this is why we as you know the the, uh, the open society decided to really invest into those fields you know uh, the the resilience that has been neglected for so so, so long um, and yesterday there's been a call for action from 11 philanthropic organizations welcomed by many more you know, to to invest over the next two years to really do our homework in figuring out how much is already being supported on adaptation, um, how much we can go, you know, how we can contribute further to efforts on adaptation, how to do that in transparency by reporting clearly, you know, how we're doing this, how we learn from each other because you know, many would like to jump in, but not sure, are not sure how to do. So how to leverage actually doing our own stock taking exercise to see what works, what does not, and where we can bring scale and replication. <coughs> and, you know, how we can do that by substantiating our effort with the right level of data. So, um, so yes, there's gaps, there's risk, and you know I'm just hopeful that also we, because all hands on deck, that we also philanthropy can actually collectively uh, push this and create the right leverage for all the stakeholders, like you know private sector, also to shipping more, especially in areas where there's been fear of of not of not getting any profit out of it and we need to change that. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you.